Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast, brought to you by Ceres. I'm Paul Ellis, your host for these programs about developments in this fast-growing industry. Luma Sakoff is the CEO of Ajal Sustainability Consulting, advising corporates, financial institutions, funds, and asset managers, as well as counseling regulators and financial markets in the MENA countries on sustainable finance issues. Sakaf is returning to the Sustainable Finance Podcast today to discuss the expectations for what will be accomplished at COP27 next month. Her sustainability consulting draws on three decades at the forefront of finance, Islamic finance, sustainability, and entrepreneurship in the MENA countries and Europe. But before we start, I want to say a few words about our sponsor. I'm thrilled to talk about the important work Ceres is doing. Ceres is a nonprofit organization working with the most influential capital market leaders to solve the world's greatest sustainability challenges. Through their powerful network and global collaborations of investors, companies, and nonprofits, Ceres drives action and inspires equitable, market-based, and policy solutions throughout the economy. To learn more, go to series.org slash podcast. That's C-E-R-E-S dot org slash podcast. At Ceres, sustainability is the bottom line. Hello, Luma, and welcome back to the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Thank you, Paul. I'm very happy to, to be back. Thank you for hosting me again. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here leading up to COP27, and so we're just going to jump right into our questions, and I'll begin with, what are we expecting to happen there at COP27? Uh, yes, I mean, a lot of things that we're expecting, um, but I think the, the most important thing is what has been announced by Egypt itself as the host of the of COP27. Uh, they want this to be the action COP from pledges to uh, sorry from pledges to action. That's really the the motto of the uh, of COP twenty seven, and so under that there are a few few interesting things that are expected to be to be uh, launched or let's say formally announced. Uh, so obviously the the one thing. NDCs remain an issue. We haven't achieved the nationally determined commitments by, by countries. We have not yet uh, reached uh, the amount of commitments that would get us to 1.5 uh, degrees uh, above industrial level. So that is still a problem. So they're going to be working on that. But the, the things that are now becoming more important is okay we we've discussed that and we're hoping that we will get more commitments what's next and so there is a lot of uh, a lot of focus on other things like maybe also uh, triggered by a lot of what's happening around us like uh, the war in ukraine and and all of the resulting or the consequences of that like uh, the energy issues and the the food food security issues and so on so based on that egypt is announcing a number of very interesting initiatives they've talked about them already one, uh, some relating to water uh, security some uh, to food security uh, but of course, recognizing that any plans that we can talk about as much as we like, we need money, we need financing to, to back them up. So uh, they are announcing also um, 
what they're calling the Just Finance Initiative. And this is in recognition of a lot of the problems or let's say the gap between uh, between the what the private sector and the private institutions, financial institutions are offering and what uh, what the, the the countries need and specifically developing countries and it might be actually interesting just to talk a little bit about it because i think it's a big initiative um as i uh, it started as i say as a as a response to to what is happening what's happening is that the finance community is saying okay we have if you remember in cop 27 uh, 26 uh, the uh, glasgow financial net zero alliance announced uh, 130 uh, uh, got together with with assets uh, of around 130 trillion dollars being available for obviously net zero and they're saying yes these continue to be available for achieving uh, net zero i.e focus a little bit on emissions um, but uh, in order for developing countries which are the countries that need all of this most um, and in the case and i would bring africa specifically as an example simply because egypt are focusing a lot on that as the biggest example to drive the initiative um, in africa um the, in, the these trillions are only supposed by by regulation and by under fiduciary duties they're only supposed to finance uh investment grade risks and africa doesn't have that so what that means is the banks are saying yes they're available but we need more um uh, risk uh, uh, ways to to de-risk these investments um, and so, so, for example, guarantees, getting development banks in, getting blended finance, basically in, 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 in creating new me mechanics for financing. Uh, but also they're saying when there is, even if we have the money and we're able to do all of that, there are not enough projects at scale that we can finance. And they're also saying even if there are projects, the data uh, and the ability to to assess the bankability of these uh, opportunities is not there. On the other hand, the African community, are say, or the African um, uh, continent, is saying, "Well, we are not emitters, right? Africa emits three point eight percent, and take the UK alone emits one percent. So you can imagine Africa really emits very little. So our needs are not not for." Um, uh, mitigation finance we need adaptation finance that's one um and so we need more money than the 130 trillion because those are allocated for mitigation we need more money and so one of the concepts being discussed is what they call additionality where are we going to get additional money from other things that are in the report uh go uh, revolve around as we said the the uh uh, blended finance, where more more ways to protect and guarantee some of these risks to enable more investments uh, in the country. We're still waiting for more details, but this is the the amount of information that we have. So we expect that there will be a lot of action <laughs> in uh, in COP twenty seven. So Luma, how optimistic are we about COP twenty seven and what it can deliver? I talked to 
uh, de uh, developing and frontier market asset managers on a regular basis as part of, of my work. And it seems like the growth potential in those economies around the world is so extraordinary over the next 20 to 30 years. And, and in many cases, they're positioned very well to leapfrog the, the infrastructure uh, of the developed economies and bypass it on the way to integrating more sustainable uh, business opportunities. So, what? Why are why are why are the uh, the large emitting countries uh, barking against the, the pro providing more capital for the developing economies? Uh, well, part, partly is is I mean why why they're unable to provide to provide um, finance? I guess is is your question or part of the question? Yes, it is. Um, I think a little bit of what I've just explained. The, today, the money that is available for for or from the developed countries technically is only uh, set or ready for uh, deployment in developed countries because of the credit risk that they're able to take. We're talking about we're talking about pensioners' money primarily, right? So they so so we do understand why. That is the case in terms of of risk. So, the the developing economies, unfortunately, as we know, they need so much more money to be able to uh, to to move to on on uh, climate, but most importantly on things like loss and damage and and mitigation and uh, sorry adaptation. And today, there isn't clear financing for those. So there is that struggle of the ability to, to try and find enough money or from sources that can actually deliver for the types of projects that are required in, in the developing countries. Uh, but but you also talked about uh, how the developing countries are, are surpassing in some ways. And that is true. I mean, uh, in, in many ways, you know, for example, as we said, Africa emits very little. So that means they are technically, uh, a lot of the countries are uh, net positive. So they are looking at now different ways of financing and they're looking at carbon, the, you know, carbon credits and selling the credits, their credits, creating carbon markets to be able to benefit from uh, the that asset that they have now that is is required in order to help other countries to uh, to offset their uh, their emissions. Now that is we're still at the very beginning of anything around carbon markets, but it is something that is is develop a story that is developing. Let's say, and that could be something interesting. Uh, but perhaps going back to the question of of uh, what we you know are we optimistic about. Uh, about COP, um, I think some things, as we're saying, they are on on the right track. Uh, some things are 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 happening. We have commitments, and we are seeing countries countries vary, right, with with uh, what they can do and where they are with all of their commitments and what and the plans they have put in place to execute on these commitments, um, but. What what is becoming very clear is we we keep going around money and and uh, the the initiative the just finance initiative is is one of those things that is really important as it, as it creates all these uh, two tools to and explanations of 
how you can actually create ways to finance. But I think the big question is, uh, will it deliver? Uh, It's a a plan that in its essence relies on the cooperation, full cooperation, I would say, between the private sector, uh, the uh, philanthropy, uh, the uh, development banks, everybody, governments, etc., to create the solution. So it really requires a big ask for it to move forward. Uh, but a lot of people are, are taking COVID as, as a good example when the world actually moved. I think the, the, the difference is that COVID was urgent as in now, literally now. And this, for a lot of countries, they, they see it as a little bit longer term. So that, that is the, the biggest, the, the biggest uh, issue. Other good things that are happening is that we're starting to see that uh, countries or or groups of countries are starting to understand more and more that they have a lot more in common and perhaps they can work together uh, to create different alliances and and, uh, discussing um, partnerships in a different way. So even the, the Net Zero Alliance now has an Asia group, has an Africa group. So discussing directly with these countries, their specific needs and taking into account their um, their circumstances, which are, as, we, as we're saying, are completely different from others. It, it's hard really to say if we're optimistic or not. Um, one question actually is, is COP still relevant? And this is actually one of the... <laughs> the discussions that I've I've uh, I've had uh, recently is it still relevant? And because of the slow pace of movement, uh, I truly think it is relevant. Simply because I don't think anything like the 1.5 degrees would have been agreed if we didn't have that kind of of meeting. But yes, we need the the private initiatives like uh, the fine, the uh, Net Zero Alliance, like TCFD, like ISSB. All of these initi- initiatives are equally important to perhaps move some tracks uh, quicker. Uh, the jury is out. <laughs> well, I agree with you, and I think that this is a again we're talking about a global scale. Uh, set of issues and concerns. And of course, um, every country has its own perspective and its own needs. Uh, I'm, uh, I guess I'm a, a very large proponent of more and more cooperation, whether it's with uh, across the developed uh, and developing economies, uh, or uh, both groups together, just coming together um, uh, perhaps every year for as long as it takes to work through a lot of these issues. And uh, that brings up, uh, you know, some of them are geopolitical and some of them are economic and some of them are culturally based. So we've got a lot of work to do uh, as, as, as a human population. Uh, and on, the, on, on that particular note, what do you think the likelihood is of achieving net zero by 2050 based on where we are today? Um, so, I mean, if we look at the science as it stands today, and I'm no scientist, I'm relying on the IPCC reports, we are not, with the, with the commitments that we have today, we are not going to achieve uh, net zero by 2050. Uh, so that is uh, that that is a a, a problem. 
but what has also, I mean, we have all these commitments that have been put forward by all the government, but what has happened is that we, first we have the, we have the war in Ukraine, right? That, that war has probably set us back also by, by, by a bit. I mean, okay, we have to talk about the, the positive things that it has, it has, um, uh, it has made a lot of uh, a lot of countries uh, focus more on renewables and so on, and we can talk more about like what's happening in the EU and so on. Uh, but it has set us it has set us back. So uh, and and uh, as a result of that, a lot of countries were actually uh, the the oil producing countries, which have the commitments to to reduce oil, have been asked to increase their production. Uh, as a result of that so so on top of the fact that scientifically with our commitments we're not we're not probably going to achieve that we also have these circumstances that we have to deal with today um to to um it, that will keep us basically more and further away from achieving that goal really that is the, the problem that we have Yes, there's no doubt about it and I am one of the things that I did gives me hope is that Initially, uh, this was the same perception that we had with COVID uh, as, a, as a global uh, issue, was that it was going to set us back many years, and it did in some way, some respects, especially in the developing world and, and the global south, it set a lot of countries back in terms of their bringing their populations out of poverty and how they could address a lot of these issues. So uh, I guess I'm an eternal optimist and I still have uh, hope for the future that we will find the silver lining of these other issues that we're dealing with right now, like the war in Ukraine uh, and the net zero objectives. Now, let's, let's just focus on one more thing in our conversation today. And I really appreciate you um, um, allowing me to kind of put you on the spot here. It's been <laughs> a good conversation. I'm, I'm very excited about what we've discussed. So let's come back to COP27. What else are we thinking about or what else should investors and uh, financial advisors be thinking about when it comes to what might come out of COP27 that can be um, promising for the future, that can address some of the, the larger uh, issues around uh, uh, currency and around inflation that we're seeing across the globe right now. Uh, talk a little bit more about that from the standpoint of the MENA countries and, and uh, the work that you're doing. Uh, so I don't know if COP can on, can resolve these specific problems that deal with you know with interest rates or so on. Uh, I think what 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 is expected is that um, these will be taken into account, if you like, by countries as they are drawing their policies to uh, to achieve these. Um, uh, the the net zero and and the commitments that they have they have uh, put in place um what what is becoming what is becoming clear as we said as as part of all of the things that are happening and the financing that's needed or the the, the transfer of funds to enable all of these things is that countries follow one they have to improve their their commitments that's that's for 
Okay, so that has to, to be developed in, in COP. But also we are seeing the more emphasis on, okay, but that's not enough. Countries need to have to put in place also a national policy, basically telling telling uh, the, the market, its market, how we're going to actually move, where is the focus, which sectors and so on. That in itself will help financing. I think one of the things that I think is, is still missing from COP is, uh, is really the involvement of private sector. Uh, you know, a private sector not talking about the, the, the banks, uh, the financial institutions, they, they have been there and they are there and we don't know whether they will be there this year. That's a different story. Uh, but the private sector in terms of industries, other sectors, uh, even energy and so on. It, and because these are the ones that, you know, when the government commits, it's not really the government that's going to reduce. It's the companies, it's the organizations that are going to reduce. So what we have not seen is how involved are they in these plans? How, how what steps they are taking as a result of the countries committing to all of these, um, to achieving net zero and so on. The, but this, as I say, it requires a national policy for every country. We're not seeing that yet, especially in MENA. We're not seeing types of legislation that could enable that. I think we talked last time, if you remember, about simple things like reporting. We don't stick to that yet. And reporting, reporting, what is reporting? Reporting is simply telling people what you're doing. But that is the starting point of you started to think about what does this mean for me? What does this mean for my company? So even that on a basic level, we don't have that in legislation in the vast majority of MENA countries. So I think, again, we, we talk about action out of COP. This, these, this is the type of action that we, we want to see happening after COP that countries will come out because we've reached the stage, as we're saying, we're, I mean, if we wait for all these circumstances that will derail us again and again and again, we will never reach uh, the destination. Uh, and so we do need to see uh, individual countries or on uh, in the case of MENA, there could be a lot of potential for cooperation between countries and like Africa, for example, uh, in terms of legislation, in terms of creating common markets uh, uh, for to increase the possibility of capital markets, raising uh, funding for different projects across the countries. Uh, there could be a lot because they all have a lot of common problems. They have a lot of common issues. Uh, they can, they can, I believe, uh, find common ways to deal with these problems, which will strengthen the economies um, and make probably uh, financing easier when when the pie is is bigger. I see. Okay. Well, listen. Um, tell our listeners again, once again, where online they can find more information um, and how they can reach you with questions about what we've discussed on today's episode. Uh, I'm assuming that uh, COP, uh, folks at COP27 are already putting out uh, links and such so that, uh, that investors and advisors can tune in to what they're doing. Uh, how they and how they can get in touch with you with questions that they might have about what we've discussed in today's episode. Uh, sure. I mean, very, very easy. It could be info at agileconsulting.com. And be more than happy to to answer their queries and uh, talk to them more about what we're doing. I'm also uh, going to be at COP27. Uh, COP so 
hopefully uh, we'll be able to to meet more people and talk more about about these topics. Great. Well, thanks again to Luma Sukhoff, Chief Executive Officer, Agile Sustainability Consulting, and to our sponsor, the Series Accelerator for Sustainable Capital Markets. The Series Accelerator is a center of excellence within Series that aims to transform the practices and policies that govern capital markets to reduce the worst financial impacts of the climate crisis. For more information, go to series.org slash accelerator. That's C-E-R-E-S dot org slash accelerator. And to our listeners, join us again next week for another episode. I'm Paul Ellis, and this is the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Music